0: podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavior Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor, and today I'm joined by Dr. Reagan Shriver. Reagan is an associate professor of practice at the University of Tennessee College of Social Work, where he teaches clinical and leadership courses. He's also the director of the MSSW program, Knoxville Campus, and the chair of the Forensic Social Work Certification Program. He's created as well a certification program in trauma-informed care through the University of Tennessee's College of Social Work. In addition to his work in academia, Reagan also serves as the special assistant to the president of the Catholic Charities USA to develop integrated health programs within their network. Reagan, welcome back to our show.
0: Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here.
1: It's really nice to have you back. For those listeners uh, that are just joining us today, Reagan was on our show before talking about his program that he developed and he teaches the trauma-informed care Really great show, really terrific program and some really great aspects that he covers around trauma. Very informative, very educational. So I encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. Today, we're going to be talking about trauma again, but we're going to be doing so within the context of our clinician series, where we like to go deeper into the therapist patient experience. And what we want to do in the series is work to give our listeners an understanding of what occurs within the therapeutic process, kind of behind the proverbial closed doors of therapy. But we wanna give you an understanding of what goes on for the therapist. We're gonna try and speak very vulnerably and very transparently what we think as therapists at times what goes on for us and what we experience with the people that we get a, really the privilege to work with. Regan, as we start out today, what I'd love to hear is in our first show, you had a really a wonderful analogy of what trauma is. And I'd like to kind of just start the show today. We're giving us a cornerstone understanding of the definition around trauma. Can you give us that?
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I just am excited to be able to, to talk with you all. And also just to kind of say that um, I, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. At the University of Tennessee, we have some great folks that are that have put so much uh, knowledge into, implanted some knowledge into me That's and uh, an understanding of stuff on the, the area of trauma. And so I'm excited. I just want to kind of give a little shout out to those folks. because That's awesome. Maybe they'll, That's they'll, awesome. they'll listen. <laughs> That's good. But when I think about trauma, I know like uh, there's so many discussions and concepts of what is trauma and there's definitions that I know like the APA has put out and the NASW sort of talks about what these trauma is. And I think sometimes I feel like that there's this focus on the external experience, that the external experience is the trauma. So then therefore we categorize things as a flood or abuse or something that that external thing is the trauma. But really what we're coming to understand is it's more of the person's internal experience Mm -hmm. so I kind of came up with this analogy that we as human beings have this system that's that's built inside of us that could be analogous to like I live in Knoxville Tennessee and we have a great sewer water removal system it's probably not the thing that you would lead with but when it rains here the the water system takes the water off the roads and there's 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 the the sewer system that just removes the water so when a normal typical rainfall comes the sewer system that we have in place removes the water and everything can be okay. Analogous to the system, the nervous system that we have as human beings, that when daily stress comes about, we can handle it. There's this typical stress response that we have that we can respond to and it resolved. this maybe the stress we have to take a test or our boss asks us to do something very stressful, but we deal with it and we respond to it and then it resolves in our body and, and we're okay. But then sometimes, Here in Knoxville, there might be a big, huge flood, a big rain. And so then the water system becomes overwhelmed. And then the water gets backed up, and then there's damage on the roads. There's some of the the earth kind of shifts around. Maybe a home might get shifted off of its foundation. All these things that happen because of this flood, and then the system becomes overwhelmed. But then over time, still there's sort of an impact that's been left on the roads or on the ground or on the home that's been shifted off. It's there's still that impact that's there. And I think that's sort of, again, analogous to our, our nervous system that sometimes big things happen to us and overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to be able to cope or to, to, to deal with it. And it leaves a lasting imprint on us. Amen. So, so then we end up with, with this this imprint on us of these traumatic events or traumatic things that are sort of the flood that's overwhelmed our nervous system, which is the stress response system.
1: Yeah, I think that's a terrific, that's a terrific visual and a great uh, picture of what happens. You know, I, I like what you're saying. It, it is an internal experience. You don't see it on the outside per se. And we know that it does, you know, cause kind of a, a, a unique wiring and kind of Sets off certain things in our mind. We know from MRIs that you can kind of see those traumas get lit up when someone's in that state and activated. And you're talking about how that flooding occurs and it shifts things and it doesn't get processed. I, I like to think, think sometimes that trauma is an experience outside the realm of normal experience where we don't have the ability to understand, process it, deal with it, you know, cognitively, the way you're saying. And it actually does leave some things really kind of in a different state, doesn't it?
0: It really does. When that flood comes, I have to adapt to where yes. the road is broken and so then I have to find a new route to go go yeah. around. And I adapt because during the, the this traumatic experience of the flood, I've adapted my life to that. Yeah. So if I think about if I have been, if there's been some sort of maybe sexual assault or physical abuse or, or whatever sort of traumatic experience that my body experiences as negative, I'm gonna adapt to it. I'm gonna adapt my life or my patterns of behavior or my pattern yeah. of thinking around that. And sometimes those adaptations in any other setting would not be adaptive. Yeah. So then I'm living my life in this way that may be still oriented around this traumatic experience, but I'm still behaving this way, if that makes sense.
1: It it makes total sense. What I really like about that, too, is that those things that once helped to survive and manage the abnormal environment we're in, these are really good adaptations to that. However, those adaptations become problematic later on, don't they, in our lives, whether it's about trust or interpersonal relationships. We're going to talk later in our show today, and I'm really excited about this part of how we use a therapeutic relationship to work through some of those maladaptive, let's put it this way, those adaptive abilities that now are maladaptive interpersonally in their adult life when they're no longer necessary, but this is the only road that they know how to go down.
0: You know for a few years i worked at an eating disorder unit that treated persons that had anorexia and bulimia specifically and i feel like that the adaptation of the diet to either extreme starvation or binging and purging became that adaptive way to try to handle this stress or the trauma or the experiences of their life but then it almost became intimate to them that this adaptive at the time behavior became so intimate to them that almost kind of like it was a friend i know that's that sounds extreme but this close friend that they had that it was very difficult to let go of So sometimes those adaptive behaviors that have become maladaptive are so tough to change because our body just gets used to it and wants that, whatever that is.
1: And as you're describing this too, we get to be reminded that these are formed unconsciously. We don't know we're doing this. This is being done without our awareness. And now you're telling me the only way I've known to live my life safely, you're telling me is no longer the right way to be living my life. Mm -hmm. And my first thought is, are you crazy? I'm not going to let go of this friend. I'm not going to let go of this way of staying safe. And I know no other way. I have no other model, the way that I see my, you know, the world in this way. Let's hold that. We're going to come back to that a little bit. I, I, and, I, and I want to maybe shift into this, you know, while we need to be in this work, well trained, you know, the schooling, the supervision, the licensing process, the competencies that we are required and need to have in order to be effective in this work. I really believe that we are our own greatest tool, though, as therapists in the therapeutic process, where we get to use ourselves consciously, intentionally in that therapeutic relationship. How do you encourage your students to think about becoming aware of themselves, their own upbringings, maybe their own personal traumas, such that they're able to do that work? so that it doesn't interfere with the things that they're gonna be sitting in front of and hearing so that they can kind of be in that place themselves to be that vessel to hold these things. How do you encourage that?
0: It's something that I feel like I constantly kind of talking about with my students. And I feel like I have to be honest and say that I sort of draw on my own experience. I think as a teacher to students, it's a little bit of a different boundary. Uh, that maybe I, would, I might share a couple things about my own experience, not too much, but just just enough so that maybe that they could connect that to themselves. I know for myself that I feel like that for part of my career, maybe I was afraid to look at things in my own life, in my own development. And so it became sort of I'm holding my hands up in front of my eyes like because I became blind sometimes to something that was going on in a client because I flat out didn't want to address it in myself. Right. And so I was doing a disservice to the client because I was uh, doing this, maybe a thing that had been adaptive to me even at one point of not looking at this issue, what it, whatever it was. And so then therefore, uh, I think it impacted that therapeutic relationship. And so, uh, hey, students or anybody that's listening, um, yeah. this thing that we're doing, we're not going into a, to, to, to a thing where we're making widgets, where the use of self is the essential part of this process. So I know, I remember being a little bit frustrated thinking, why am I not making progress in these, some of these situations? And I had to look hard at myself. And I, I mean, it, I have to say it wasn't easy and and I'm still trying to figure it out as sure. we all are kind of thing too, you know.
1: I really like that. You know, you say that in those moments when, if I haven't done my own work, one of two things can happen, maybe almost two sides of the same coin. One, uh, and, and if I'm with somebody that needs to talk about something that... I haven't worked through, but they need for their therapeutic process to continue, I may not want to go there and unconsciously I'm directing us in other directions. Or if I haven't done my own work, I'm going to do it vicariously through them in a way where they may not be ready to go down that path, but I might be beginning to push in ways that is premature for their readiness to take a look at it.
0: Wow. That's a real, I love how you coined it as said, two sides of the same coin. I, I, I think that's a terrific point to make.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying without our own work, which I would encourage all students. And I think even as therapists, our ongoing work, you know, if we're going to be our best tool, let's make sure that, you know, we're we're doing that work so we can be kind of present in that way. Just to our listeners, Rick and I had had an opportunity to talk earlier this week and, and we were talking about ideally in our show, he and I get to model what we hope all of our colleagues get to do with somebody in their life. And that's work to a place where they can speak honestly and candidly they can be transparent with one another. It's hard sometimes to say, Hey man, I had this thought in therapy. Can you believe I had that thought or, or this came up for me and I got triggered in this way. And if we can find a place and a person or persons to be able to open up this way, this is where we become our best tool. And Part of what I was uh, talking with Reagan about and what he was encouraging us to do in this show was to kind of model some of that, where we're talking about things in a very honest and candid manner. And So I guess my next question, and I'm going to jump in on this and try and be as transparent as I'm asking you to be, Reagan, but around what are some of the tougher cases that you find being most challenging for you, some of the presenting problems that are hardest to deal with?
0: I think I have a couple of thoughts about this. Two cases immediately come to mind. One is kind of humorous. The other is a little bit more painful. The one that was sort of, so I I was brand new. This was years ago. I was brand new working in an alternative sentencing program with folks that had been, had some sort of influence with the justice system. So it was a men's group and there were 10 guys that I was leading this therapeutic men's group and I took to heart the thing about boundaries. You know, you keep your boundary up. And so the group was a disaster like so like uh, I wasn't being very real it just wasn't very I wasn't I wasn't in relationship with them I was right. sort of like providing some sort of service like I was just yeah doing what I read in the book rather than really utilizing myself. Well, one day I went out to the car to get something and all the guys were out on the front porch having a smoke before the group. And they said, Hey Reagan, Hey Reagan, uh, come on over. And I thought, Oh no, I I can't talk to them. This is a boundary. It's outside the session. What am I going to do? And so I went over and I said, okay, well, uh, and I went and talked to them. Well, I didn't reveal my deepest, darkest secret, but I sort of talked to them as like, a real human being would. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I have to say in that moment was a big breakthrough for me. We went in, we had a group, that group was, became more successful mm-hmm. because I think that I just thought, okay, you're being, you're trying to be something that you're not, Reagan, right? And like, just be you. Not that I'm like pouring out all my issues, to, but like, oh, I'm guess. just trying to be real.
1: Yeah. It's a real relationship, isn't it?
0: It, 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 it truly, it truly is. And that's what I feel like it's so hard, I think, sometimes for us is to, to discover that and to remember that. And that like, I, I'm, I am, I'm using myself in, the, in, this, in this engagement to model the way that a healthy relationship might, could be. I'm not the friend, I'm a human being in this, real, yeah. in a real relationship.
1: It's a unique and one-of-a-kind relationship, but it is nonetheless a real relationship. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com slash bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com slash bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. What was the second case?
0: So this was a case where this was someone I was seeing when I was at Catholic Charities and the person probably had a personality disorder. It was very hard. The boundaries again, were very hard. The Person found my phone number at home and would call, tried calling me and you know, th- find out where I live, things like that. But I had learned in school, and actually I learned this from another colleague too, that I, I was very conscious of wanting to make sure that I gave enough time to the client, but also wasn't like overextending the time so that the next person and those other things I had to go do. So I kept up kind of, out of the in the corner of the room so that i could like be attuned to the person but glance over and see what time it was and not go like put my wrist up yeah. so to see Well, now it's what time is it so the person saw the clock and perceived that as a rejection of him and i was just flabbergasted by that and just then wanted to make everything you know okay for him and like I, I don't know if I actually handled it right. It, it became really kind of a, a painful thing for me because I got so stuck on myself and what if I had done wrong? Rather than taking it as a therapeutic moment to talk about what does rejection mean to you and how does this perceive as rejection? And I, I wish I could go back.
1: No, I like that. So you're, you're talking here about how a patient's reaction in a moment is really revealing something deeper for them that predates you, that happened in their life, that gets interpreted in a moment, in this case, as rejection. Maybe uh, I'm not important or, you know, this is this really real because we're on a clock? And, and I think what you're raising right there is we can drop into our own, hey, what have I done? Or maybe even our own shame place of, man, I didn't handle this very well. But those are tough moments, aren't they?
0: Oh, yes. Yes. And I think that that whole thing about realizing maybe, I mean, I don't think that was an error or a mistake to place a huh. clock somewhere so I could be, you know, monitor the time. I don't think that, but to talk about, like, I think to, to use the moment as how is this impacting me in a way to get in touch with that a little bit so that I could maybe better reflect that back to the person.
1: Well, what you're talking about here is countertransference, you know, where their reaction, you know, back in the day, countertransference was something that was seen as problematic and something that needed to be kind of worked out in your own therapy as a therapist. Versus now we understand that, you know, in this, in kind of the countertransference pie, if you will, there's our own stuff. There's the counter countertransference. There's indirect counter-transference, There's concordant countertransference. And what you're talking about here is a counter countertransference, isn't it? Where you're being pulled into an enactment, something where the patient once upon a time had some kind of abandonment or some kind of, you know, something conveyed to them about, well, I'm not important to you because you're looking at a clock and we're just on the hour, you know, and, and who am I to you? And all of these things, and all you're doing right there is making sure that you keep a good therapy hour and you keep, you, you keep a good boundary. But within that boundary, these things emerge. And so, but what we can also do is we don't recognize that sometimes in ourselves. And we we all get to this place, particularly as young therapists, where we feel like, oh, my stuff gets kicked up and am I not doing this right? And we kind of we drop into that versus what you said, what I like is, hey, what does that mean to you when I look at the clock? Mm-hmm. And tell me what you find getting kicked up for you. So we get to use the, in the moment, kind of therapy relationship, don't we, to find out, hey, what does this mean for you earlier in your life, or maybe even currently?
0: I love the way you you phrased that. I have to say, I feel sort of in my life, I sort of bounced back in quotes from that experience because I had an awesome supervisor. like, And I think sometimes we look, I know in our profession, we look at supervision like as the graduation day when it's done, that like I've accomplished, I can get my license now because of my supervision hours are over or whatever. But I do, I feel like that having a supervisor is a unique relationship. It's like somebody that I can be real with as well. But then that that supervisor for me isn't a friend or really a colleague, but somebody that is almost in a therapeutic sort of role for me. It's been so helpful. It was so helpful.
1: That's really good. I want to I want to stay with that piece in just a moment as we talk about some of the internal experiences that we can have as therapists. But I want to go back over something about this idea where this relationship is a real relationship. Truly, we have the privilege to have with those that entrust us with their lives. But we know that those that experience of trauma have the most basic trust in their lives typically betrayed somehow Let's stay with that one. Just maybe relational traumas and their security operation. What you were talking about earlier, really clearly causes them to maybe be cautious or leery or slow to trust, which can impact their ability to bring their trauma up into the conversation or up to a conversational level in the therapy with you which is necessary for the therapy work to get done i need you to kind of share and bring things with me but if trust is a basic issue that's been you know breached or betrayed it's so very hard when you're working with someone how do you name and normalize these security operations on the one hand and at the same time explore how they might begin to take some risk with you or kind of lean into this relationship so they can tell you the story and you can join the minute
0: this is going to sound like the old trite kind of from my perspective of of the unconditional positive regard which our carl rogers would describe and just say i just feel that whatever i can do my facial expression my bodily presence to the person could just be of acceptance and that i'm here i I feel like it's a challenge to think about like if, if i've been brought up and i know that i want to value the human dignity of every single person that comes to me no matter what the experience is but maybe I've been heard or things or been influenced by things or have my own bias towards a people or a person or the way a person behaves or a way a person is. I've got to try to work through that. Or how can I just have that open acceptance and the, and the recognition of the dignity of the person that's before me and the challenge that they're embracing to come be with me in this moment, you know?
1: Well, I like that. I mean, I, I could even see, you know, saying something like that of you're coming here and you're entrusting me with some things. And I'm going to trust that's going to be challenging and also, you know, hopeful for us both. And, mm-hmm. and I'm going to try and show up as best I can, but I so want to acknowledge what you're doing by being here. I, I really like that. And kind of that, you know, Carl, what talked about, talked about WAG, you know, warmth, empathy, and genuineness. You're, you're hitting it right in the head.
0: Also, I feel like many people that come with relational struggles or maybe traumatic experiences have been told, trust me, it's going to be okay. You can put your trust in me and it's been nothing but violated. So it's almost like the word trust becomes a a triggering reactive experience. So how do I convey to somebody, I want you to trust me and I want you to find trust here. But I feel like maybe like it's putting it back in their court to say, look, I recognize your dignity and I recognize your value and what you can do. It's up to you to trust. How can I be a a trustworthy figure for you? Like kind of putting the ball in that in the court of the person we're working with.
1: What I love that you're doing right now is what you're saying is, What if we just name these things? What if we just normalize and kind of say, hey, I would imagine from the stories you've told me, all these relationships have been, you know, betraying and and trust breaking. And here I am asking you to trust me. Holy cow. And you're saying, bring it up, ask what it's like. And maybe how can we build trust together? If I'm hearing you right.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That's, I think, exactly right. Right. You know, something else that um, is sort of tangentially related, but this is this is going to be geeky for just a second. But like I've been reading about this concept of mirror neurons, which are these, these yes. neurons in your mind and that how they can reflect what's going on in another person. So I was thinking about this and I read something about it that. So say if I'm in a therapeutic uh, situation with someone and they're telling me something terrible that happened to them. And if my facial expression to the person is one of like shock horror at what they're telling me, I, I think in my mind, I might be thinking I'm really conveying that I'm with them and that this was really horrible. But then what the person might be seeing in my shock horror face is, oh, no, he doesn't like it either. This is terrible. So I have to be empathic and listening and be aware that I'm not just like conveying some sort of horror to the person as well yeah. and that I'm, that I'm as freaked out as they are. They need they're gonna need somebody that's a steady presence in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. You're talking here about kind of that part of the counter-transference where I understand what they've gone through, but I want to come in in kind of in a concordant way where I want to come in with empathy. I want to I, I want to hold the trauma. I I, I want to hold the reaction that they're having with them at their level. But you're also talking about that mirroring process being an essential part of what kind of psychodynamic therapists refer to as corrective emotional experiences. So they've had people betray their trust and you're saying, I want to be able to be a corrective emotional experience with you. And that can change our wiring here. That can change the patterns and pathways of how, when we have corrective emotional experiences, someone begins to build the very... Trusted that someone took away from them back with you in those therapeutic moments
0: wow that was really well said that's great thank you
1: well no what you're saying though but it hinges upon that mirroring doesn't it
0: it does both I both
1: heard. mirroring in our looks mirroring in our words holding what they're saying mm-hmm.
0: I, I know of one colleague that uses the phrase a lot i, I want to create a space for this situation. This person, I love that. I kind of like that, that we're, I want to yeah. create a space for whatever you want to bring for who, who you are.
1: What a great invitation. Yeah. What a great invitation. You have a very nice way, man. You're genuine, you're 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 lighthearted, but you've got this great depth to you and it's inviting of people just to feel safe. So I, I I really like that. Folks, please pardon the interruption, but we will continue this discussion on our next show. I want to thank our guest, Regan Shriver, for coming on the show today. For more information about the University of Tennessee's College of Social Work and their postgraduate trauma care certificate program, please visit www.csw.utk.edu. And lastly, I wanna thank our listeners for tuning in today and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavior Health Today.